0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Green Tea Podcast. I'm your co-host Nick Sibiriakoff and
1: I'm Chloe Rains.
0: and today we have the special pleasure of having Sejal Prashand on our podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself please?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Sejal. I'm a junior here at Bowdoin. Uh, What else do you want to know?
0: What are you majoring in? Uh, Where are you from?
1: I'm a bio and math double major. I'm from Chicago, Illinois, best city in the world. (laughs) And uh, I'm super obsessed with birds. This is what's landed me this wonderful gig. Amazing. All right. So um,
2: can you tell us a little about your experiences with environmental writing or storytelling? I know the way that I kind of caught wind of you first was I know you're leading like the Bowdoin Naturalist Club, but I heard about you through storytelling.
1: Yeah, totally. So uh, I'm a part of the Bowdoin Naturalists, and uh, one of our uh, officers is Kelly Navarro. She's super awesome, and she came up with this idea for uh, an environmental storytelling workshop for primarily students of color. So it was a three part thing. First was letter writing, which I didn't have the time to go to, but then the next two one was a writing workshop at the Coastal Study Center, and that was really cool because it was like a small group of us. We got to go out there, we got to Um, sort of brainstorm and think about how can we tell our unique stories as students of color in environmental spaces. And then the last part was we got to share those stories at sort of an open mic type uh, thing in Smith Union, which was really cool. And, uh, yeah, again, shout out to Kelly for organizing that. Like, she is so amazing. Yeah, wonderful.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Do you want to or can you share a little bit about what you wrote at this workshop?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I wrote a story about... This experience I had with a crow while I was birdwatching back home. And um, it, it's after I got into birdwatching. I'd been birdwatching for about a year. Um, so this was like two winters ago. And I was just like hanging out, watching ducks as you do. I was like incredibly still because there was no need to move around. But then this crow like landed on the tree right by me. There was like a billion trees to choose from, and he just chose the one above me. And he started making these like quiet little sounds to himself. It was, like, the cutest thing on earth, but above that, like, I just felt, like, so blessed to be able to experience something like that. You know, usually you hear crows, and they're, like, loud and raucous, and the sounds they make, like, they really seem like they're meant to be heard. But this just seemed like he was making sounds to make sound, and I just felt so sort of connected to the world in that moment. Just to be able to observe things like that, to be along the lake, which is so beautiful, and that feeling of connection, that feeling of being a part of the world is something I really want to share with other people. That's part of the reason why I lead bird walks. And it's something that I feel like has really changed my life and, and enriched it in so many ways. Oh my god.
2: That's really beautiful. I I just to segue a little like I love crows and ravens so much. I can't expect I'm not a huge bird person, you know, you're kind of like this is I'm talking to the bird professional right now. But <laughs> crows and ravens like if I I would have, like, I want to be friends with a flock. Yeah. You know, I always see these stories about, a how, like, a it's murder. It's called prose. a murder. Yeah, they like, rec- I've seen, like, they've done research where they recognize people's faces and yeah. stuff, and, like, they're so intelligent, and mm-hmm. it's just. Yeah, I love them. I don't know. And I'll I'll see one occasionally around campus, and I'll be like, it's a sign. Like, I'm going to have a good day. (laughs) Um, So our next question is, since you talked about, you know, this experience in nature, what is your connection to nature? Like, how has it shaped you, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think my family was never, like, a big hiking family. Um, But I do remember, like, being a little kid, my dad showed us this documentary called Microcosmos, which is about bugs. And I was obsessed with that movie. And I remember, like, one time my dad and I, we went and sat on our back porch and just watched a praying mantis catch flies for, like, half an hour. And that was, like, the coolest thing ever. But after, like, there's kind of a gap from me being a little kid to me coming to college, really, where, you know, I liked being outside and doing things, but it wasn't really priority for me, and I didn't really feel that sense of connection that I got now. And it wasn't until my first year of college uh, we got sent home uh, after a fall semester and just I was at home for a tremendously long winter break and I was like I need something to do so I don't get super depressed so I started biking (laughs) around and just kind of on a whim grabbed my dad's binoculars and I saw this kind of duck that I hadn't know existed before and that sort of changed my life Mm -hmm. just to to suddenly be aware of this like incredible diversity of life just Yeah, I don't really know how to, it was a revelation. It was like, it was really amazing. And now just to walk to class and to be able to hear all these birds and I'm starting to learn trees and other plants and just like, the world is incredible. Like it's, there's so much stuff around us and you don't even have to go far. And I think like, that's just, it just makes me feel like really fulfilled. I don't know.
0: Is that the earliest memory you have of your connection to the environment, the praying mantis and the flies?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, we would also, like, my sister and I would go to the park and, like, dig for worms and stuff, too. Just, like, you know, kids um, messing around. But, again, it wasn't really, I mean, it wasn't intentional because I was, like, barely a conscious being. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) uh, it was definitely there. I think there's, like, something in, you know, in kids, this, like, curiosity, this... Uh, like, fearlessness of just, like, I'm going to go out and be a part of the world. And I think, like, a part of what draws me to being outside and learning about it is it almost, like, gets back in touch with that inner child, like, that curiosity, that uh, experimentation,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I understand agree. I think it's so important to have that curiosity kind of pervade through the years and like mm-hmm. connect with that. Cause I feel like it's like if you put people in front of a fire, no matter how old they are, or like get a cool lizard or something, yeah. everyone just goes like silent. You know what I mean? Like yeah. most of the time people are just going to sit there and stare and like, you know, no technology, nothing. I'm just like. In the zone. Like, I'm like, this is amazing.
1: Yeah, Um, like that feeling of, like, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh,
2: another question we had was how does the environment factor into your identity? Do you find peace in the environment? You know, I mean, I feel like the answer is yes. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, I think, like, uh, it's become, like, a pretty big part of my identity in that, you know, finding this passion for birds has really... I said it before, I mean, it's changed my life, you know, like, this is something I want to do as a career. as study birds, and yeah, I find peace in being outside. I find that, you know, it can be so easy to get wrapped up in, like, you know, life as a human being is hard, but to recognize, like, how many different ways there are of living, and that I'm a part of something bigger than me is uh, very relieving, and also just, I don't know, it it kind of lights a fire of, like, I want to do whatever I can to, like, Promote this sort of engagement with nature and also protect the environment, like in in ways that I can. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. So, do you think that this exposure to the environment and this passion that you have, how does this help you navigate like climate change and nature and sustainability in today's world and at Bowdoin?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I'll say it's hard. Like, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to sort of balance the passion while also recognizing there's a limit to what I as an individual can do and also preventing burnout. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes there are times where I get really overwhelmed and it's just, it, it, it's hard not to feel powerless. And so uh, something that I've been trying to do is figuring out ways that I can act on like a, on a smaller scale that, that still feel like they make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I'm still struggling to find that balance. But I think a big part of it is just like, you know I never would have recognized or like realized how many birds were around if nobody showed me like I'm still learning so much and I think uh like going with people to show them how like how much is out there I think can promote the passion that's necessary to make change mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering.
2: This is more specific to about it, and also Chicago, where you're from. Mm-hmm. I assume there's a lot of snow. How do you yes. do you do you go out when it's like really cold and stuff? Oh, and you're yeah. like, all right, I'm going in. Like,
1: yeah, I love the winter time. I love the snow. You know, I started bird watching in Chicago winter, which is wow. pretty cold. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, like, Chicago winter along the lake is so beautiful, and you have it all to yourself. Mm. Like, it's truly amazing that the, the wind coming off the lake picks up a lot of moisture, and then it kind of deposits it on the, like, leafless shrubs on there, so they're like chandeliers of ice. Whoa. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I love the snow as well, you know, taking my dog out in the snow. She's like a puppy again, <laughs> even though she's 10 years old. So, um. what, what kind of dog do you have? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, no, she's a Chinook. They're kind of sled dog. Um, oh, yeah. But oh. above all, she's super cute.
2: So. I have um a Labrador retriever oh. and a and a French bulldog, but um, yeah, we try taking them out for walks, but it's obviously different. It's gonna be Texas it's gonna be really hot right um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you have any dogs?
0: I do not have any dogs, oh. unfortunately.
2: would you
1: keep a bird as a pet? yeah, I think um <laughs> I would i think a crow. I i you can't I do that it's illegal really well and also there's some ethical like
0: yeah. you know they're
1: very social and uh-huh. i don't know how i would mm-hmm. if i would feel kosher about keeping one inside gotcha. and everything. but anyways maybe a pigeon mm-hmm. uh mm. pigeons get kind of a bad rep but you know there's pigeon rescues out there that will take injured pigeons and rehab them and they're really social and really oh. loving and you can, like, put a diaper on them, which I think is kind of weird, wow. but... diapers on... Also
0: convenient. <laughs> <Diapers> on pigeons. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I don't know. I think first pet uh, will definitely be a cat, though. Oh, nice. Uh, indoors only, of course. I know, I'm saying wow a lot. I feel like Owen Wilson over here, because yeah. genuinely, I'm just like, I, I wow.
2: love this bird conversation. I'm kind of, like, going... I'm segwaying, because I, like, just have all these bird questions. Like, no, you, please. You pigeons, yeah. like... I this is such a random thing but I remember reading about like they'll have pigeon races and pigeon doping scandals really? where people were trying to dope their racing pigeons oh and God. like get them
1: ramped it's up on thing. steroids it's not a Texas no, thing No no I know pigeon racing pigeon. is a thing my mom yeah. sent me a picture of a pigeon like perched on our balcony that had a band on it and it wasn't like a fish and wildlife band it was like somebody's escaped either pet or racing pigeon because it had like a Whoa. color band on it so yeah no it's wow. around this is, here's another pigeon story
0: you can ask the Nick interview, so next
1: interview question but I, I, one of my
2: best friends growing up uh, she told me that her grandmother had a pet pigeon and um, you know like this old Greek woman in Texas and she loved this pigeon this pigeon was like bonded to her and everything and then one day it flew away I know, it was so sad. And then it came back, like, a few weeks later, and it was, like, tapping on the door with its beak. Except, apparently, she was cooking, and she was like, just a minute, and then she, like, opened the door, and the pigeon was gone. Oh, no. (laughs) No. I still that story haunted me for years. Anastasia, uh, shout out. I'll send
1: this episode to her so she knows.
0: (laughs) That's a crazy story. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they are super smart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, pigeons are better at doing... Uh, the Monty Hall problem. It's like a what math... So it's like, oh gosh, see, I'm going to say it wrong and then I'm going to get people emailing oh, me. No, no, <laughs> hey, don't worry email. About No, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like basically there's three doors, there's a goat. Oh, yeah. Oh, the goat yeah. behind, yeah. The behind goat, one. The goat behind two Ooh. doors, yeah. car behind one, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Basically, humans are like pretty spectacularly bad at it. Like uh-huh. even when you know what the right answer is, like your instinct is still to say the wrong one just because uh-huh. of how our brains work, but... Pigeons, apparently, are much better at it. so Wow. Yeah. Pigeons, yeah, i back on my own wheels in a wow while again. But <laughs> that's, that, wow. <laughs>
0: that's so, that is so interesting. Know. Yeah, oh, and no, like,
1: pidge- I mean, talking about crows and ravens, like, they're super smart, too. Oh, and yeah. even a little tiny bird like a chickadee, you know, Birds they're... off. Yeah, their brains are itty-bitty, but it turns out that they're... Um, in the wintertime, their hippocampus gets enlarged, which is, like... A, mm-hmm. Okay, again, don't... I think it's the memory area... But basically, they can remember the locations of like thousands of cached seeds Mm -hmm. so that they can make it through the winter. And that's just like, yeah, amazing.
0: Wow. That's a, there's a,
2: Sorry. There's another there's a professor here I know too who studies birds and I'm trying I was trying to remember his name. Mm. It might be Thomas Small or somebody. And he studies that birds have different accents and stuff that they use for mating calls and Oh wow. Um oh but we we can we can get on the next (laughs) one. That (laughs) that is no,
0: I I want to talk more about this because I've have you heard of how like certain crows will if they're trying to get water out of like um like a cup that's and they, they, like, drink too much and they can't reach it. They'll, like, th- throw rocks in it so yeah. that the water will go up. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And something that I think is really cool, too, is, like, there's a Aesop's fable about uh-huh. that. Like, even since whenever that was, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And even before, there's, like, some, uh, like... Indian stories, like my grandma's always telling me, oh, Indian people thought of it first. But so take that with a grain of salt. But you know, people have been noticing these things about crows for a long time. Mm-hmm. Just they are so smart.
0: Yeah. yeah, Also, wanted to corroborate your claim about hippocampus. It is responsible for memory okay, in the brain. So great, glad yeah, I'm not yeah.
1: spewing misinformation. No, too. you are
0: all good about that. Right. Um, so do you want to tell us more about the Bowdoin naturalists? You mentioned you're a part of them and you mentioned that you do bird walks on campus. Do you want to, uh, yeah, just give us a little rundown about how that works here at Bowdoin?
1: Yeah, totally. So the naturalists is a club. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but, um, yeah, it's just a group of people who essentially like being outside and like learning about the world around us. And that takes a lot of different forms, you know. I'm obviously obsessed with birds. I think this has become quite clear. Um, But also, like, there's people who know a ton about trees or uh, intertidal ecosystems and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And I think what unites all of us is just this passion for learning and for, you know, just going outside and and learning through observing. I think Mm -hmm. it's not about, like, oh, can we, like, push ourselves physically by hiking? It's about, like, how can we engage with the natural world in a way that's uh, curious and respectful and, I I don't know, it's just like a really wonderful way to to engage with this wonderful place we get to live in.
2: When do you guys, do you normally set up meetings on campus groups or how does one get involved with the naturalists? Yeah,
1: we have a campus group page. Um, Yeah, actually, keep your eyes peeled for an email. Uh, We've got some events coming up. Um, Campus groups, and also feel free to reach out to anybody on the board. I'm on the board. Kelly Navarro, who I mentioned, Cora Dow, uh, Giovanni Calabresi, James Benavides. Rory is off campus, uh, but they're another contact person. That's all on campus groups. Perfect. Perfect.
2: Yeah, Um, so we were talking to Keisha Payson yesterday, and she brought up um, you, actually, and bird strikes. So we wanted to ask a question. Bird strikes, what are they? And uh, could you tell us about bird-friendly infrastructure on campus? This is not something that I had heard
0: of Oh, yeah, Uh,
1: totally. So bird strikes, uh, essentially birds hitting windows. Um, It's primarily a problem during migration season, so that's going to be spring and fall. Um, where you get a ton of migrating birds passing through a place. Uh, they typically migrate at night, and they'll get confused, or if the lights are on in a building and there's windows, they'll fly into it thinking they can fly through the building mm. and all this stuff. Um, and it actually is, like, a pretty significant cause of mortality among wow. birds. Mm-hmm. I think among, like, non-natural causes, I think it's cats followed by window strikes, mm. or maybe the other way around, um, so, yeah, around Bowdoin, as far as bird-friendly infrastructure goes, there's uh, none. Of
0: whom?
1: So, you know, uh, this is maybe some personal beef, but Roo, which is a yeah. so-called environmentally friendly building, as you can imagine, the giant glass wall on yeah. the front pretty of it. pretty bad. Pretty bad, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this is like a kind of silly anecdote but uh, Cora was doing a bird survey one morning and she found a dead bird that had hit rue and as she was burying it a tour group walked by and they were <gasps> talking about the like how eco-friendly rue is so just no yeah.
2: Wait, that's I'm, that's such a good anecdote yeah that is the
0: irony yeah. Like, yeah. so Absolutely. yeah there's
1: a lot of like big windows around campus you know HL uh, keeps the lights on overnight which I don't understand because it seems like you're just wasting money to put the lights on for nobody. And there's Mm -hmm. been some birds that I've found there. Um, But on the plus side, you know, there's things that we can do to mitigate that damage. So turning your lights off at night. You know, if you live in tower during spring and fall, you can do that. Or you can close your blinds if you need to have the lights on. Um, There's other stuff you can do. There's window decals you can put up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we might try and... Do a Nats event where we make uh, some, they're sold as like Zen window curtains, uh, but you like put, you can use paracord or whatever, put it outside your window, and it breaks up the window reflections and stuff so birds don't fly into it. Mm. So there's things you can do. It just, you know, I I don't know if it's been on Bowdoin's radar. Unfortunately, Mm. the new buildings, I think, I was told that they would have fritted glass. I looked and I didn't see any. So, yeah. so yeah, it's a map. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I, those are also very glass full, but just, you know, if you find dead birds also report them. I said, su- I put a survey out on the digest. Um, so, or you can just email me. Yeah.
0: Gotcha.
2: That's really important. Thank yeah. you for talking yeah, about that issue. Sure. Yeah, It seems yeah, like something that hasn't
1: you know popped up on a lot of
2: people's radars yeah it's It's kind of
1: depressing (laughs) and i think like if you see a dead bird it's like oh god what do i do Mm. yeah but you know there are some things that you can do as an individual and we can also maybe try and push for a little institutional change yeah uh yeah just ask people to turn the lights off
0: yeah awesome thank you for that message and to lighten things up a little bit i wanted to ask you what if you were a bird what kind of bird would you be or what's what's your favorite type of bird If those align in some way.
1: So I can't, I don't want to say what bird I would be because I I don't know. I feel like maybe other people, that's more of like, I think other people should tell me what I would Mm. be. But Mm. if I could pick any bird to be, it would hands down be a crow. Mm. Personally, I feel like there's nothing that I would miss about being human that I wouldn't get being a crow Mm -hmm. because they're smart. (laughs) They're social, they love their family, they get to make a ton of noise, they play, (laughs) they fly, Mm -hmm. they're goofy, you know, I just think they're stellar. I'm a huge, huge crow fan. Mm. Um,
2: Crow adjacent, I would love to be a raven. Yes. So I've been to Vermont a couple times because my grandparents used to live there and we would go to this bird sanctuary that they had for, you know, birds who would been injured Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, couldn't fly in some way. And they had these two ravens that were mated for life. And they spent every day of every hour, like, cuddling together.
1: And it was just the sweetest. I was like, what a charmed life. Yeah, yeah. it's it's so cute. Yeah, Yeah. a couple times I've been watching the crows around campus, and I've seen a pair of them, you know, preen each other, which is really cute. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, they, they mate for life. Of course, you know, there's extra pair uh, copulation sometimes and whatever. Oh, wow. uh, but Bird affairs. <laughs> bird affairs. Yeah, Watch bird out. affairs. Exact. Everybody's always <laughs> having affairs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, hopefully not me if I were a crow. But yeah. that's not in the cards for loyal me. Good crow. Good, good loyal to hear. Crow, yeah. Good, good um, crow, yeah. So our second to last question is a little, <coughs> also another
2: fun, do you have a little known bird fact or fun fact or nature fact? Oh,
1: gosh. Uh, I think I'm filled with bird facts. Okay, you can you can hit us with multiple. What do you want the people to know? Yeah, rapid fire. What do I want the people to know? Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Okay, <laughs> super cool chickadee fact. So this is uh, about mountain chickadees. Uh-huh. We have here black-capped chickadees. Mountain chickadees are out west in the mountains, as you might uh, guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some researchers did this study where they found that Oh, gosh, I had to give more context. Okay, so if you (laughs) listen to Chickadees... Yeah. uh, Do they they
0: sound like cheeseburger... That's is their that song, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Bur-
1: yeah. Uh, and also, if you listen to them, they make a ton of different sounds, and and, and it's like they're always talking to each other. Uh-huh. And one of the sounds that you hear is just this like short little like call note, uh-huh. and it's almost like they're checking in with each other. Oh, wow. and it turns out the mountain chickadees, they are checking in with each other. That's uh-huh. like it is what it sounds like. And not only that, but that call note encodes information about the individual's identity, like it has age and sex information in that one little note. Whoa, which just kind of blows my mind. I think it's super cool
0: that is really um, cool
1: what's another good bird fact i wonder i wonder can you feed ducks bread because i've heard some don't people do say it. that you can't I mean, don't do, don't it. do it. it gives them like uh corn or something like that instead corn okay corn uh, don't maybe not just corn uh, uh <laughs> look seed. it up
0: bird seed I've,
1: I've always wanted to carry bird seed in
2: my pocket Yes. I, I'm going to do it someday. Like, for so years, far. I've been like, I need to have a little pouch of birdseed in my pocket so that if I see birds, I can throw it at them. That's
0: kind of scary, though, because what if they swarm you? No,
1: I love that. <laughs> like <laughs> I seagulls? I love that. See, I spent... Oh. I spent seagulls? A, there's another gull Ooh, fact. Gull uh, fact. There's a, there's a gull fact. Uh, here on campus, mm. there's gulls that fly around. And yeah. personally, I've seen at least two different species of gull. Oh. So... Yeah, there's more gulls than a lot of people realize. There's more gulls yeah. than I realized. There's uh, a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, and they're also super smart. I think they get a bad rep, yeah, because uh, they steal your food and yeah. make loud noises. Mm, seem a freaky, but you know, crows do that too.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's a There's a farm I volunteer at, like 20 minutes away, and they get a lot of wild turkey. Oh. Yeah, and, they're, and they come in, like, packs,
1: Turkeys too, are we'll
2: crazy.
0: A gang. A, yeah. g- a group of turkeys really a called gang a gang. Of, of gang. gang of it's very... Yeah. Cool. <laughs> no,
1: I... Yeah, turkeys kind of... They're super cool and also kind of scary because they're just so big. They oh, are. Yeah. T- they're huge. And Giant they can fly. Chickens. It does not seem like they should yeah. be able to fly, but they can do it. Yeah. Scary stuff. But, yeah, yes. gulls are... Gulls are cool. You know, people have seen gulls... Uh, like if they ha- they have some shellfish of some kind that they can't mm-hmm. crack, they'll fly up in the air and drop it from yeah. the air so it breaks. I think that's cool. So smart. crows do that too, yeah, so they drop things to this break is, them. Wow, this is a bit of a personal question before we hit you with
0: yeah, the final yeah. sustainability, yeah, totally.
2: but I, so I'm friends with Liliana Lines, and yes. I remember her bringing up like probably last semester or even a year ago, she was like, "Oh, I just spent the day bird watching because I'm friends with some people, and they wanted to go find that bird that flew over. Was that you, or was, was that naturalist adjacent? What was that bird that flew over from, like, Asia or something, and yes. then came to Maine, and people were okay. freaking out?
1: Yeah, so I'll tell you about it. Uh, so that bird is called a stellar sea eagle. It is so cool. Mm-hmm. So you know how eagles are big, like bald eagles? Yes. are yeah. good lads around here. Stellar sea eagles are bigger. Okay, they wow. make bald eagles seem not little, but, you know, medium like size. The size of a child. Whoa. It's huge, huge bird. And, uh, yeah, it's only supposed to be in, like, Siberia and some areas of Japan. But last winter, all of a sudden, this lost soul is shows up in Maine and shows up not 20 minutes from Bowdoin. Wow. Unfortunately, this was over winter break, so I was home oh in no. Chicago. Oh no. And it was seen consistently, like, every single day of winter break. And then as soon as we came back to Bowdoin, it started being a lot more spotty. And so I tried three times last year and failed every time. The first time I missed it by an hour, second time by half an hour, third time by like 15 minutes. And I was no. like, this is going to be some exponential decay stuff where I never quite see it. I was really sad. And then it sort of vanished, uh, Refound in uh, Nova Scotia. Oh, wow. I think New Brunswick maybe also. Uh-huh. But then, plot twist. Oh no, what? <laughs> this year, it came back. <gasps> like, uh, last week. Okay, because I was going to make a Did joke. Did you see it? Yes, oh, no. finally. So Amazing. I tried I tried on uh, Sunday of like this last weekend. I tried and failed. Missed it by a couple minutes. Worst words you want to hear when you go to see a bird. It was you know, just we, here. Yeah. yeah, we got out of the car, and the first no. thing we heard, it just flew off. Never want to hear that. But then on Monday morning, you know, woke up early. Uh, borrowed a friend's car drove out there you know it was seen while we were like while we were driving up there so when we got there i actually sprinted out of the car because i was <laughs> like if this bird flies off because i wasn't fast enough getting from the car to the bridge i'm gonna lose it yeah but then i finally saw it and it was so cool just i think it's one of those things you know this fall i saw this bird called a hudsonian godwit which is another bird that's not really supposed to be mm. here um and that's a bird that has an insane migration, like from Alaska to Australia, I think. Whoa. Wow. Um, don't quote me on that. I might be mixing it up with Bart-tailed Godwet. very what? far. Yeah. But it has a crazy migration. And yeah. I, it's one of those things that I got with the sea eagle, too, is just to see like how far this bird has come is incredible. And the w- fact that like millions of birds do stuff like that and they survive yeah. blows my mind. And, uh, you know, with the sea eagle... It's like a once-in-a-lifetime bird. Like, this does not happen often. And, you know, I just felt like I had to go see it. This is history. Yeah. I'm so happy that you saw I was going to say, me there too. there would have been tears streaming.
2: I was going to make a joke <laughs> before you hit us with the plot twist, which genuinely got me. I was going to be like, it's going to be like 40 years from now, and you're going to be in Nova Scotia, and you're going to see it in the distance, you yeah. know, and hear a
1: call. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I think it'd, it'd be cool if it uh, becomes like a regular winter visitor. That'd mean, be insane. Uh, and also there's been uh it's been documented that at least once that a, a stellar sea eagle and a bald mm. eagle have mated <gasps> so uh, we could hybrid. have some cool hybrids around but uh yeah. chances is uh chances low but never zero mm-hmm.
0: Do you think uh, I want to ask another question about this? Do you know any reasons why these birds are having these strange migrations and ending up in places that they're not supposed to be?
1: Yeah. Vagrancy is sort of the like term for it. A bird is like a vagrant. Uh um, If it gets like super lost, I think there's like, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know that much about it. There's definitely a lot of literature out there that I want to read because Mm -hmm. it's so crazy. And I think it also is different for different birds. Um, Sometimes if it's a young bird it just like didn't know how to migrate properly or sometimes a bird will get like slightly blown off course but that's kind of a different thing. So yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if there's like one mechanism or whatever. There's still so much we don't know about migration.
2: uh, Usually we wrap up our podcast with
1: the question we ask all our guests. What does sustainability mean to you? So for me, I think like on a personal level, I just try to, uh, I don't know, I just try to, to act with intention when it comes to things that might have an impact on the environment. So like I've started trying to eat two meals a day vegetarian instead of eating meat every meal. Um, you know, I try to, I don't have a car on campus, but I try to bike and drive, or er, bike and walk uh, whenever I can as opposed to, buying a, uh, borrowing a friend's car to, to go somewhere, uh, that's within that distance and trying to help my friends also do stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's just hard. It's, it's hard to, to figure out where that balance lies. But for me, it's just doing what I can, talking to people who I care about, about what they do and, you know, how I can help them or how they can help me. And, uh, Just taking the time to realize, like, yes, things are bad, but also there's still beauty out there. Nice.
0: That's such a beautiful message. Yeah, what a great answer. It is
2: definitely a process, so I yeah. agree. But yeah, yeah, this was Sejal, everybody, yeah. our wonderful bird <laughs> professor. Thank yeah. you. Nope. for. Co- they just did a fun yeah. little
1: hand wave just
0: for our viewers who couldn't yes. have seen that. Jazz yes, hands. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your time. That This yeah. is a really fun episode.
1: Yeah, um, thank you for having me. And just a quick shout out, if anybody wants to go bird watching ever, it doesn't matter if you've never done it before, please hit me up. Yes. Like I actually love to do it. It's so. epic. Amazing. Nice. Right. well, thank
2: you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, this was the Green Tea Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nick Sabirikov. And I'm Chloe Raines. And thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.